I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Consciousness Podcast, where each week I have a conversation with an expert in an area of human consciousness. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Elaine Chu, who is a professor of digital media at Queen Mary University at London's School of Electronic Engineering and Computer Science, where she is affiliated with the Center for Digital Music. In addition to her several advanced degrees from MIT and Stanford, Dr. Chu is a pianist and has performed internationally as a soloist and a chamber musician. Her work has been featured on the Los Angeles Philharmonic's Inside the Music series and in an exhibit on beautiful science at the Huntington Library in California. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Chu as we discuss music and consciousness. Well, Dr. Chu, I really appreciate you taking the time today to discuss music and consciousness. So, you know, one of the first questions I always ask is kind of to define consciousness. And, you know, with you and watching some of your videos from the recent um, Center of Consciousness uh, event that you were at and and a speaker, where I I noticed you made a comment to the group that your, your view of consciousness or understanding of consciousness had actually changed. I think you said something like even since that morning or since you had been at the conference and Mm -hmm which, uh, you know, made me laugh because that happens to me every time I talk to an expert like you, I come away thinking, oh, my view on consciousness just changed today. So I wonder what, you know, where do you stand today? What's your understanding of consciousness or, you know, how would you define it? Right. It's, it's one of those things that's really difficult to define. And, and I, I went into, I was invited to give a talk at the consciousness conference and, and I went into it not really having a, a firm idea of how to define consciousness and probably no, not, no one has a complete answer of what consciousness is. Um, when I first prepared was preparing for the conference. I I spoke to several people asking what they thought consciousness was. And um, one of my colleagues, uh, who's actually a psychologist, um, uh, uh, a professor, and he, he suggested this um, little book that was an, um, you know, an introduction to consciousness. So I started reading the small tome and, and got some ideas of what consciousness was. But then I spoke to my sister, who's a physician, and then and she said, well, what do you want me to say? You know, as a physician, I'm, we have very concrete ideas of what consciousness is. You're conscious right. or you're unconscious. <laughs> and, and I thought that was really funny that the range of definitions of consciousness from just plain, you know, awareness to paying attention to something, to feeling like you have agency, um, a, a, to, to have an effect on your environment, all that uh, had to do with consciousness. And then there was a really uh, mundane concept of consciousness you know and uh, someone's unconscious or conscious and and, right. and so i think that's that's a huge spectrum and and that's really not an easy way to encapsulate everything that consciousness means right yeah i think that's funny because i've never actually talked to a physician who sees it very clearly it's you're either conscious <laughs> right. or you're not Cause, <laughs> so then that's the, probably the leading indicator to how well you're doing Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, yeah, and, and then if you're an anesthesiologist, that that has different, um, you know, finer gradations of what consciousness is. Whether you have put someone out, or whether you you think you've put someone out, they look like they're asleep, but they're actually still conscious. Um, so, what is that consciousness? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'd never thought about that because then you would have, you know, I've discussed dreams before and what level of consciousness there is involved with a dream. Right. Some people will define consciousness as being aware of your awareness. So it's not ah. just that mm. I'm aware that it's 60 degrees 
but I'm aware that I'm aware that it's 60 degrees. And that's kind of where, right. you know, philosophers will look at what is consciousness, you know, so then you think about dreams and it seems like mm-hmm. awareness goes in and out. Right, right. You know, so, so dream, being, and I imagine it would be yeah. for a anesthesiologist too. Right. So being, so you have, you actually have to be aware that you're aware for that awareness to actually be there. So, <laughs> right. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it feels, it, it's reflective is the way it's described. Mm-hmm. It almost feels circular, but, you, but when you, yeah. when you think about it, yes. you get a real sense for what that means. Mm-hmm. The thing actually exists when you pay attention to it and you're aware of it being there. Yeah. Right. I, I like that. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I do too. Thank you. The, uh, not mine. Um, so what part, have you, have you had a chance or even given a, a thought before to what part um, music might have played in the development or even the evolution of, of human consciousness? Well, I, oh gosh, I, I, I think music results from human consciousness. It, it is demonstration of what human consciousness is able to do. Um, and, and I, I don't know if music actually is an instigator of consciousness. I think the fact that we are able to make music, that we're able to experience music, we're able to appreciate music, is a, shows that we have consciousness. And, and the very act of making music, um, the deliberation that goes on, and all the decisions that we make, and all the effect that we want it to have, and, and the way we communicate with others and influence the, the, way this, the ways in which they feel and react to the music. I think all that are, are examples of what consciousness is. And, and music is special in that it, is, it does this in so many ways and that we can affect and um, affect um, consciousness in so many ways through music that... Um, it's one of uh, one of the conduits through which we can actually um, really uh, explore the, um, a broad range of what consciousness is. Yeah, because it does so much with our brains. Right. Yeah, it, it does, uh, and and in in so many facets, in so many ways, um, it's it's kind of a microcosm of the human experience and. And so it allows us to truly be conscious or be unconscious. <laughs> there, there are many ways in which we engage with music. Yeah. Yeah, there sure are. And, and I have a couple of questions here that I know mm-hmm. are a little far out. Okay. And I don't, don't want to drag quasi-science into it, you know, but mm-hmm. they're just things that made me think, and I wonder if you had thoughts on them. So the first one okay. is... Because I was interested, and, I, and I'll ask you about this also later, I was interested the way you kind of flipped the perspective of the, the awareness or the appreciation or understanding of music from a, you know, a typical model, of, I guess, from the, the performer or from the, the piece to the actual person observing it and experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And so it made me think, do you see music as, as potentially being able to, to kind of put a bunch of individual consciousnesses, you know, a bunch of humans and their consciousness to, to network that or to sync that or to start to create, mm. you know, something common among them so that when they leave the performance, it's not just that they experience that performance as an individual, but that actually something of a, of a greater level was happening in the audience. 
Yes. I know that's um, out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I had to give this some thought. Um, and I, I, I absolutely believe that that is the case, and both on the level um, of the, the people who are giving the performance, as well as the people in the audience who are listening, the listeners who are experiencing the music and reacting to the performance. And um, it's, it's a social um, kind of way of interacting. And for, for people who are playing together, um, music requires that there is coordination, there's collaboration, and that there is sort of a unity of will to, to make something together and always support each other in that creative act. And I mean, of course, there, there's, um, there, there are sort of obtuse cases where, you know, one can deliberately not support one's uh, partners, but um, the, uh, right. by and large, the, you know, the, the, the social contract is, um, when you're actually performing together is that you actually will be there for each other and that you will support and um, and work together to create something really meaningful and for for the audience uh, for the listeners who are in this also in this experience together with the performers um, they are collectively also ex experiencing the same sounds and and perhaps moving um, uh, physically together to those sounds. Um, there, there is what is called entrainment, so um, where people start moving together. I mean, this you see this amongst the performers, you also see this amongst the listeners. Um, mm. uh, and, and if this is dancing, then people would move together in time to the music. And, and so that on multiple levels, music allows people to come together through the coordination of the timing of actions, um, collaborations and you know co-creating intentions as well as um, realizing them right yeah and we we know from from a performance I guess both from the performers and from the audience but as a, as a performer mm -hmm. when you have a really great performance and you just feel and think with everybody else in the in the ensemble or the group mm -hmm. uh, you almost end up in this in like the zone, like an athlete will talk about the zone. Mm -hmm. And we feel that as we're syncing up and we're supporting each other, it almost seems as though there is something going on there that we feel, you know, mm -hmm. consciously in that, in that zone. Yes. Uh, uh, I guess this, um, it's a way of, in a way it's like, um, as in many multiplayer games, when you mm -hmm. actually engage with people that closely in, co in cooperative effort, um, you actually really get to see how they think, how they problem solve, uh, and how they make decisions for the group or against the group, or how they lead the group or work together with others. And and it's yeah. a very, it's a really, um, it's a really moving experience. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I guess that wasn't too far out there. No, no, no. I, I, I go with that. Yes. All right. Good. Mm -hmm. um, now here I'm, here I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone and trying to understand, you know, some of your teachings, with, which I think mm -hmm. are really, it seems like lately, at least the, the stuff that I, that I looked at and read was really central to what you're teaching mm -hmm. is the, the tonality. And the, the side comment is it, it's just funny, my own experience. And I saw you were born in, in Buffalo, New York. 
Yes, uh, I was born in Buffalo, New York, but I only lived there for, um, you know, a few months, less than a year. Um, and before, you know, my parents whisked me away. Um, right. And, and so I, I was born there, but I didn't spend a lot of, whole lot of time there. Oh, so you haven't had a Ted's hot dog? Um, I haven't had it. Sorry. <laughs> a, a, a Ted's hot dog. They're famous for no, their chicken wings and their Ted's hot dog. Ted hot dog. I have to go have that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you ever come visit us in, uh, in Arizona, I'll, I'll take you out for one. We've got one here. Okay. Oh, will do. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. But the funny thing is you, you did, you played for the audience. You played, um, I think it was, uh, I guess there's multiple, um, titles of the song, but twinkle, twinkle, little star. And, and the first time you resolved it and the second time you did not resolve it. And the audience yeah. could sense, you know, you know, when I was, uh, I was a music major for a little bit mm-hmm. at the university at Buffalo. Yes. And that was one of the very first, it's ironic, just a coincidence is one of the very first things that my professor talked about was an ice cream truck that used to go up and down his street and play somewhere over the rainbow, but not come down and resolve it. And it would just drive him absolutely batty. <laughs> and I think so it would just go. And that's it. Da, 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 and then ended right there. <laughs> you know, oh, that is painful. <laughs> yeah. It, so, like, it would cause you pain, just like it caused him pain. Mm. And so, it's interesting when you when you're in that when you're an actual musician. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's something that really creates a lot of dissonance. You know, almost yes. like cognitive dissonance. And mm-hmm. so that for those of us who may be a, a fan of music, we can just tell, hey, that didn't quite finish. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just, I guess, I wonder. You know what, as far as a, you know, a, being consciously aware of that kind of thing going on, or, or what insight you might have as to how do we know that the phrase did not end that way? Oh, uh, there are. Is that answerable? Um, I think it's answerable. Uh, the simple answer could be experience. I mean, the technical answer could be, you know, the experience actually builds on sort of phys- physical models of how the sounds relate to one another. Uh, and so, um, although, you know, those are closely related tones and, um, and they're nice fractional, I mean, if you actually look at the frequency of fundamental frequency of that tone, uh, they're nice fraction of uh, ratios, one of the other. Um, but even though they're closely related in that way, we want it to resolve to the most basic one, which is the initial one. And, right. and so when it is so close, yet does not close that final, take that final step to close the gap. Um, that's when you know, the, your expectations are peaked and you're sort of driven to really want that final closure and to not get it. That's, that's what makes it painful. And (laughs) it's, and, and this is, um, this is what composers know how to play with. And this is also, especially performers, you know, just slightly delaying something and sort of tugging at, at what is expected, um, and and then giving it or not. Um, that's, that's what makes, um, the, the emotional tension in music. 
and uh, and because this can be done in so many different ways just like you know actors saying the same lines can do it in so many different ways this is why we come back time and again to different people or even the same person playing the same piece in a different occasion uh, and this is why we can listen to the same music again and again right that's a good point that, that's something yeah. i never i never really thought of because it's i also i i do i do stand-up comedy and oh, there's, yes. there's, yeah, yeah and you, you have that same release of tension is, is really essentially how you get people to laugh is you, you build some tension mm -hmm. or you create it with a punchline and and then they laugh at it and, and music can also create that you know like you're talking about that tension but it's interesting because with music mm -hmm. i can listen to the same song and often i do i've got a set list i listen to every single morning i mm -hmm. listen to the same song and just love it you know but you can't yeah. really listen to the same joke every time yeah, no, no, but uh, find that yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's true because you know the punchline, and so that is lost. It's kind of like you know, it, when um, sort of like those visual imagery um, experiments where you don't see a horse there, but once you know how to see the horse in those spacing of dots, suddenly you always will see that horse there because right. you've come to expect it. So expectation yeah. has a lot to do with it. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I talked mm -hmm. to a, another person, um, Dr. Perlowski. He's at, I think he's at Harvard right now and, and also up there in that, that Northeast area, an Air mm -hmm. Force facility. And he mentioned how music helps consciousness because it conditions us to emotions and to, to thought. So you can listen to a song, to a bunch of songs about unrequited love. Mm. And that, that conditions your brain to deal with the emotion. Right. You know, when you come to the right. point in life to deal with that that you're mm -hmm. you're ready for it and so it's mm -hmm. yeah because with music you really get we all you know i think most of us get into the feeling so when you have that that note that's held at the end before it resolves then we love it every single time yeah yes and and you love being you, know? you love having your emotions played with can you imagine that right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah unlike us comedians that are trying to play with your emotions i don't know i yeah, mean people love comedians too <laughs> And, and, and I think that, one, you know, yeah. we have some similar benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, that's true. And actually, I should mention that one of my PhD students now is, is looking at stand-up comedy and timing in stand-up comedy, uh, which oh, is wonderful. very much like, you know, how performers in music as well play around with timing. Well, great. Well, I will, uh, you know, when this is over, I'd like to, you know, maybe... Uh, have you connect me you know we don't have to be personally connected but at least to keep an eye on his or her uh, yeah, work and, sure. and see what yes, they come yes. up with vanessa pope yes yeah absolutely yeah, that would be awesome all right um so moving on here it seems like you know a lot of your focus in, in kind of your angle is applying analytical math to music mm -hmm. yes um and in doing so have you what have you discovered about music and human consciousness and cognition. I mean, has, uh, those two concepts come together mm. for you as you as you look at these models. Um, I I think having now been through a week of training at the consciousness conference, um, I consider it training because <laughs> I I feel right. like a novice at at, at consciousness so and, and I just learned so much and. Um, I think cognition is a, has a big plays a big part in consciousness. Um, it uh, it's, it's part of consciousness, um, and, and a lot of my work tries to make 
apparent and very concrete in, in mathematical and numerical terms what, what it is that the conscious mind is able to do with music when we understand music, when we experience music, when we perceive uh, different things such as structure in music. Um, what is it that um, we're able to do? And so we try to make a computer algorithm that can simulate that same kind of capability. And if that, mm -hmm. um, if that algorithm fails, we go back and we think, well, what have we not captured? What other things have we not paid attention to that maybe the human mind is paying attention to? So it's a way of um, questioning, of interrogating what is that consciousness that we have when we actually listen to music and we if assess it and, and, and we make sense of it. So what can we do um, that you know is missing perhaps in a program? And, and perhaps okay. eventually when the a program is able to do everything, we start asking, well, does the program have that consciousness that we have when we engage with music? Um, we're, we're not there yet. I mean, we're, we're a long ways from that. But um, it's, it's the kinds of questions we ask when we talk about computers and any kind of human in intelligence. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever correlate any of this to actual like uh, brain activity or um, you know when you tie it to the activity of the brain and also creativity mm -hmm. and music composition and those concepts well um i i have not yet done uh work that links this to actually um you know brain imaging and eegs and things like that but i have a colleague Mar marcus pierce who does that and and i follow closely the work of other neuroscientists and music psychologists who could do this, um, like um, uh, you know, Valerie Salimpour and Dan Levitin and you know, Robert Zator and Carol Kromhansel, who've all done work in this realm. And, and since um, a lot of the work I do is related to, to what they then take on to connect with brain waves and brain signals, um, I... I'm learning from what they have found to um, to understand how that relates with the kinds of computational cognition work that I do. Okay. Yeah, it sounds it sounds very very complex, and it sounds like it's probably just now um, an, an emerging mm -hmm. discussion right. between the two. Um, you know, it can be hard to define consciousness in general. But there's also mm -hmm. a piece of that description where we, we talk about the awareness of something, you know, it's quality, it's quala. Mm -hmm. And you know, like we all know, when we look at the color blue, we know what the color blue is, but it's mm -hmm. hard for me to describe what blueness means, mm -hmm. you know, to somebody else. And right. I think it'd be the same difficulty with music, you know, and the, and the quality of music and the emotions it evokes and, you know, the personal way we experience all that. Do you... Have any thoughts or insights on, on like kind mm. of the, the emotional, phenomenal quality that music has within each of us in our in our conscious minds? Yeah, that, that is that is difficult to to pin down. And and the the way in which I approach this problem, because I'm interested in it, is that um I'm interested in taking this apart as as sort of the sci the scientist in me just has to um I want to explain it, you know, why, why do people right. react to music in this way? 
Um, well, first of all, different people react to the same music differently. Um, the same person on a different day might react to the same music differently. If you're listening to the piece of music a second time or third time, it's, the experience is quite different than if you were listening to it the first time. Uh, and so there's many different factors. But some, you know, on the whole, there, there are certain things that can be uh, um, are, are more reliable and certain things that are highly variable across individuals. Um, and, and what I'm trying to do is to pick out a few of the things that re reliably um, uh, induce the same kinds of effects on, on, on people uh, and try to show that this is how this is how performers play around with music. This is how composers play around with music. This is what we are doing when we actually deliberately, consciously try to cause certain kinds of effects in the listener or, or to produce certain kinds of experiences. And, right. and there, there are certain very, there are very uh, reliable indicators of how to do this. Um, and, and, an example of this, perhaps not in the musical realm, but would be in movie making. So if you're directing, if you're choosing how to tell a story, there are ways in which you know how to elicit certain kinds of responses from people. So um, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to, um, through the work, um, break down some of these secrets of the trade uh, so that people can better understand how it is done. And, and basically when we understand more, we appreciate more how the work, the work that goes into it. And, and so hopefully that will lead to greater enjoyment of the experience of music listening. Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I look forward to finding out what you, what you discover and, and uncover. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right, I have another way out there question. Okay. I almost find it embarrassing. I almost find it embarrassing that I'm going to ask it, but it's something that, as a as a uh, somebody who has studied, you know, computer science and and reads the singularity science fiction that's out there. Right. You know, people, computer scientists will talk about like kind of the computing power of a of a rock or a stone, you know, because of the atoms that are in it. Right. And you look at computer networks and computer networks you know, think about them coming to life, you know, rising up. I don't mean rising up like Terminator, but I just mean, you know, finding a, getting a consciousness. You know, I talked to a, a Buddhist about consciousness and there are, there are thoughts in, in Buddhism of a consciousness leaves a body after death. And, mm -hmm. and depending on what, what part of Buddhism, you know, they can look at it and say, yeah, that consciousness is, is free to find another entity. So could it, could it find a computer network? It had the computing power, had whatever it needed to, you know, become conscious within that. And then naturally in looking at what you're talking about and, and, you know, seeing all the diagrams and thinking about how complex this is and everything's going on. Is it possible that, you know, because a, a piece of music performed by, say, an mm -hmm. orchestra has a lot of similarities, I think, to uh, a network because it has... Mm -hmm the now, the right right here and now is what's coming out of the orchestra. And then it's got the the temporal component where the, the music is in the past so that everything that's coming out of it right now has this context. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a brain has all of its right. own context. And so it just made mm -hmm. me wonder, is it possible that a, that a piece of music, a composition or a live performance could actually take on 
It's consciousness. You know, there's a there's kind of a litmus test in, in right. consciousness. And you probably heard of this a lot at the conference, you know, is to mm-hmm. something it is like to be something else, right? If I can imagine right. something it is like to be a bat, then I can mm-hmm. say, well, that bat probably has a consciousness. You know, would it be possible for me to understand something that's like for that music, that piece of music mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of living entity? Is there anything mm-hmm. to that or is that just crazy? Oh, I, I mean, that's a very interesting question. I, um, let me get, think. Yeah, about this I know it may not even be answerable. It's just something I just, I'd just be curious yeah. if you were, if you had any thoughts, you're like, no, Stuart, that's crazy. Or if you're like, well, I don't know, you know, it's. Well, I, I can, I, I can just give my view on this, and, and you know, perhaps other people yeah. will disagree. And, and I, I think of music as sort of, you know, text. It's. Um, um, and and you know other people would disagree because music is more than the text. Music is this concept of what music is. Uh, I mean, a text is one way in which it is represented, but um, there are other ways to think of music. But I, I think of music as this thing that is in, um, inanimate until a person actually breathes life into it. And. Right. And, and so uh, perhaps even the inanimate thing before it was created is, is a representation of another person's consciousness. So if, if the person who came up, and create, came up with and created the music is different from the person performing it, then that person sort of Im- imbues their consciousness and tries to uh, put it into some representation then that, that can then allow that music to be recreated in another form, in another time, uh, for another audience. And so the music itself is sort of a, a container for that consciousness and, uh, or a representation um, of certain, uh, certain ideas of someone else's consciousness. Mm. And, and so um, it can take on many forms. It can feel like it's, it's actually... It can behave like it has agency and, and consciousness, but but only because of the people that gave it that life. Mm. Um, th- I mean, uh, does that make sense? I, I think that's the sort of um, a take on on whether or not uh, where is yeah. where does that consciousness reside in this process of music making, creating, and receive and and the reception of music. Yeah, and I, and I guess uh, I guess once again you you've kind of astutely turned around the the perspective of of the question because now <laughs> I now after that explanation I see it from a different a different view. Right. Interesting. Well, good. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad we that was, oh, that was good. Good. We got something All out right. of that crazy question. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, okay, so this next thing, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, reading through it, you see the AEIO factors, yeah. attention, mm-hmm. expectation, information, and ontological commitment, mm-hmm. um, as you put it, relative to the perception of music. Can you just, is it possible to give a, a brief kind of layman explanation of what you mean by that? Yes, yes. We would, um, this, this came about because um, with a former doctoral student of mine, um, Jordan Smith, uh, and uh, a postdoctoral um, uh, researcher, um, Isaac Shankler, we, we were trying to find a way of, of just summarizing how two different people um, who are encountering, listening to the same recording even um, of a piece of music can come up with a very different understanding 
of its structures. In this case, you were looking at structure. So how, uh, why is it that, you know, for example, um, the, um, Jordan thought this was section A leading to section B, which was really huge, and then a little section C and so on. And Isaac thought it was, no, no, the, this was actually a big section A with another A prime, which then follows, which is derived from A itself. And then before a new material comes in, the new material is introduced. And, and so they, they came up with different ideas of how to make sense of how the piece of music unfolded and, and how the ideas were grouped together and how how they relate one to another and and so after um, detailed analyses of their two um, um, explanations of the structure of the same recordings they were listening to uh, we came up with some ideas of what were the reasons for the differences in which uh, which they perceived and um, Attention, so this is the A in A-E-I-O. Um, so attention refers to what the person was paying attention to. So if the timbre of the sound was staying the same and you were paying attention to timbre, then you would say this is all part of the same thing. But if you were paying attention to the rhythm instead and the rhythm changed even though the timbre didn't, then you would think that, well, we've gone on from section A to section B. So the attention on the features of the music made an impact on what you thought the structure was and right. expectation had to do that this is the e and a e i o and expectation meant that if you expected the sections for example this is an example of expectation if you as an analyst of what is happening in the music expected all the sections to be roughly the same size and your expectation is going to color your analysis you're going to try to make them roughly the same size as much as possible. And so that's going to influence the outcome. And the information bid, so now we're moving on to I, um, information, so in this case, um, Isaac, in this particular experiment, um, Isaac was the performer and um, Jordan was not the performer, but he was an intelligent listener who was very experienced. And so as the performer, Isaac wanted to communicate certain structures that he had in his mind and then he would play it and then Jordan as a listener would be um, sort of receiving it without the prior knowledge of what the person who made it intended it to be and um, Isaac who was very I thought a bit harsh on himself said you know if what Jordan heard is not exactly what I intended it to be then I have failed in my communication but I think that that was probably overly harsh um, uh, on himself because you know that there's many factors you can't control for you know if if someone's expectations were quite different from yours and and they were listening to something that you had created despite anything you might want to try to do to influence how they perceive the result you might not be able to change their expectations and then their perceptions and Finally, the ontological commitment, that's the, that's the one that is slightly more complex. And that basically says, you know, what you can call a thing at the very beginning influences how your analysis actually um, unfolds. So if, to me, a thing is da-da-dum, and then it comes again, da-da-dum, and then... Da -da -dum, boom. 
Okay, so it's a little a, little a, and a little b. Uh, but if what you thought was um, a thing was da da dum ba da dum, and then da da dum bum, so you would have only a bigger block a and maybe a tiny b. And so, mm. depending on what you considered a thing or different things, then how the thing is pieced together is a result of those building blocks, the original units that you called things. And so if you had a different set of building blocks that you start with, even though the music is the same, the, the resulting construction that you have of what, how the piece was put together is going to be quite different. Um, well, that's really pretty complex, and yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of like you know if if I start with uh, Lego blocks that are, um, you know, uh, three by two, and you started with Lego blocks that are two by two, um, then we're going to end up trying to build the same house but quite differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing that. I never even considered, you know, how complex just observing a piece of music can be. Yes, it's it's wonderful. It, it has so many possibilities. It's it's a whole playground yeah, I think I, in itself. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm going to have to to use this new concept um, next time I listen to the song "Echoes" by Pink Floyd. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I'd love to see. There's what always you come up arguments with. about the time signature on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I yeah. think even even the guy who wrote it, Roger Waters, sometimes he's not even sure what the time signatures really are. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. 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 Well, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done any work in? Oh, I've already asked this one about correlating the brain activities. We already we already went through the brain mm-hmm. activity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So here's something else interesting, mm-hmm. and I think it's when we talked about how you 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 change the the point of the point of view, the perspective on some of these right. issues here. But you mentioned the term duality, you know, which mm-hmm. obviously the duality and conscious has consciousness has to do with the the mind body right. duality. You know, is there a consciousness mm-hmm. separate from the mind, or is it really all just mm-hmm. one thing? Yeah. Um, you know, and and so the your term duality. Mm-hmm. is a perspective, you know, of music modeling and the brain's point of view. So, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm close enough on that, do you have any, any thoughts on how that would play into one's consciousness and, and their perceptions of music? And maybe you can expand on that a little. Yes. Um, so the, the use of the word duality here comes from mathematical duality so that you can always, rather than solving for a function, you can flip it around and, and start from the solution and go backwards. Mm. And, and this, is, this is not new. In the, this, is, this is invoked in, in many fields of mathematics and, and right. uh, uh, lately also in AI, where you know, rather than solving for what the machine gives you as the answer, um, you, you, go, you start with the answer and you try to reverse engineer it and see what what are the reasons um, for coming up with that answer, which is more interest, uh, uh, perhaps a more interesting question because it focuses on the process and the decisions and, and, and how that breaks down rather than just simply a final output with a black box. And, and so in, 
um, in consciousness, I guess this has to do again with going back to ideas of trying to explain a perception or rather um, um, some form of intelligent interaction with the world. Um, if, if we observe an outcome or perhaps an analysis of a piece, then can we reverse engineer it and try to figure out the different components of what came, what led to that conclusion. So an example would be, what could the person be paying attention to in order for them to think that this is the structure of the piece? Or, you know, what, um, uh, I guess I, oh, that, 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 actually that example should end right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good, that's a, that's yeah. a good example. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think that does have a lot of, I mean, I think it helps trying to figure out and really dig in and almost deconstruct mm -hmm. consciousness to try right. to understand it the same way you're doing with your modeling. Mm -hmm. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Well, we're down to, down to my final question. Obviously, I want to see if you have any, any additional thoughts okay. or questions, but I always like to, to ask you know, because one, one of my goals in, in doing this whole podcast and, and talking mm -hmm. to fascinating people like yourself about these topics is to figure out, is there a way for us to actually, you know, explore or further develop or exercise our own consciousness? And so mm -hmm. I wanted to see if you had, you know, from your, your work on, you know, music and, and perception and the modeling, was there anything there that, that kind of lit the light bulb of, you know, this could actually be used you know, in a certain way for somebody to dive deeper into his or her consciousness or develop or find areas mm -hmm. of it or, or even learn about, you know, his or her consciousness. Is there anything in, in your work that kind of led you to, into that realm? Mm, I think or even not just general so thoughts on it. Yeah, I think I, I can give some general thoughts on this um, based on intuition of uh, and my, my own experience with music. I, I think that music is... Um, is the perfect sort of medium through which to experience consciousness. And because it, the training involved in, in sort of, uh, an expert playing of music requires so much conscious control, as well as consciously letting go of control that um, it, uh, and in many ways, it, it allows us to layer on, um, it introduces many different layers of um, decision-making, understanding, um, and, and sense-making that it, it's, and, and yet it's beautifully self-contained. And, mm -hmm. and the end product is something that is potentially um, able to move other people and make the world more beautiful, um, a more right. beautiful place uh, that it is, I mean, that I, I don't really see a downside to it. Um, it's an excellent way for us to interrogate our own thinking um, to, well, if we want to, and or mm -hmm. also to just submerge ourselves in the experience of just very, of very focused, of having very focused thought, um, and 
and deliberately working towards goals, setting goals. And, uh, and I guess this, this is not very intellectual, it's more sort of practice oriented. Uh, this, is, this is sort of the everyday uh, drill of, of making music and, and practicing music. And it's, it's, um, it's a wonderful experience and I highly, highly encourage it. Yes, well, me too, me too. And, and looking at it, you know, from, from your, your teachings has really, you know, given me a whole new insight into just music in general, you know, having, having played music myself, it's, you know, given me a unique perspective and I, and I can see how a lot of this, um, you know, definitely does play into, into consciousness and awareness and, and those type of things. So um, thank you for what that. I really, that? I really appreciate oh, that. You're very welcome. 